0: Tonight's reading is from Isaiah chapter 49, reading verses 9 to 25. <coughs> Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, What are you making? Does your work say, he has no hands? Woe to him who says to the father, what have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children, or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord says. The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush. And those tall Sabaeans... They will come over to you and will be yours. They will trudge behind you, coming over to you in chains. They will bow down before you and plead with you, saying, Surely God is with you, and there is no other. There is no other God. Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God and Saviour of Israel. All the makers of idols will be put to shame and disgraced, They will go off into disgrace together. But Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced, to ages everlasting. For this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come, assemble you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be, present it, let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear, they will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength, all who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame, but in the Lord all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exult.
1: Do you ever find it hard to believe in a God who is invisible? Wouldn't it be much easier if we could actually see God for ourselves with our own eyes? It's the kind of question that lies behind these chapters in Isaiah. The problem with God is, as it says in chapter 45 verse 15, truly you are a God who hides himself can't see God. God is not tangible. Yet for Isaiah, it's the invisibility of God that is one of the factors that makes him unique. In a world where every other God was an idol, visible, carefully crafted in gold and silver, the God of Israel is different. Other nations would would carry their idols through the streets in processions of honour. And Isaiah parodies that practice. He pictures the, the gods, Baal and Nebo, being carried through the streets. Look how heavy they are, he says. Look how people are struggling to carry them. Look how they have to be loaded on to beasts of burden. Look what happens when they're lifted off their pedestals, how they kind of tilt and and sway around until they're they're put in place. Look at the indignity of it. Look, says Isaiah, there they are, being carried through the streets, not in a procession of honour, they're being carried away into captivity because their city has fallen. The people who prayed to them haven't had their prayers answered. They weren't able to rescue the people. The God we worship isn't carried around from place to place, on people's shoulders, or placed on beasts of burden. (laughs) The Lord declares, he is the one who carries us. I will uphold you from the moment you are conceived, says God. And I will carry you right from the moment of your birth all the way through to old age and grey hairs. I am the God who does this, says the Lord. So he is in a different league from every other God of his day, gods that could be seen and touched and carried from place to place. You are carried by God. We didn't make him out of silver and gold. He made us. And he sustains us. He rescues us. He saves us. The God we worship is the God who made the world in which we live. He is our creator. He made the earth. He stretched out the starry heavens. Faith tells us that everything we see was made by the one who cannot be seen. If God were visible, he'd be part of the created order. It's his invisibility that sets him apart, that marks him out as the creator of everything that we see and know through our senses. So we can't see God. But how can we tell that he's there, or how can we tell what he's like? For those with faith, that the splendour and the wonder and the intricate complexity of creation speaks of the need of a creator whose glory is displayed in the work of art and scientific scientific achievement that is our world, our universe. Isaiah boldly declares that were it not for God, we wouldn't exist at all. Our very ability to, to see what's there, our, our very ability to rationalize. Everything, Our ability even to question God's existence is down to the God-given capacity we have to reason and try and understand ourselves, our world, and our place in it. But for us to, to question or query or even dismiss God is, is like a bit of pottery arguing with the potter that made it. Or a child saying to their parents, why did you make me like this? The invisibility of God is... There's no grounds for superiority on our part. Isaiah wants us to be humble before our maker. What there is, is there because God decreed it to be so. Without him, nothing would exist. We ourselves would not be there to ponder his existence. <coughs> and as Isaiah looks back and says, everything you see God made, he looks forward and says... What will be, will happen in the future again because God decrees it. He alone knows everything from the beginning to the end. He alone knows what is yet to happen. What he plans will come to pass. What he purposes will be fulfilled. What he says goes. And from Isaiah's point of view, in the immediate future, the next stage in his plan is to raise up a new King Cyrus who will restore God's people to their homeland and will rebuild God's holy city. And God can and will do this because he is sovereign. He is the unmoved mover of everything else that takes place, he is the first cause of every subsequent link in the chain of cause and effect, until his (coughs) ultimate purpose is fulfilled. From beginning to end, God is in charge. How different from the gods of the other nations, says Isaiah, which once they are set up on their platforms, (coughs) can't move unless somebody else takes them down. They don't answer people's prayers, however fervently their devotees might pray to them. They cannot save anyone from their troubles. Elsewhere, Isaiah says they have mouths, but they can't speak. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see anything. Our God is different. So Isaiah invites us to look back at creation and give God the credit for everything we see. He invites us to look forward and to trust him as the one who will fulfill his good purpose for creation. He declares, I did not make the world to be empty and void, I made it to be inhabited. That was God's purpose in creating the world. And it remains God's ultimate purpose for the world that he made. For this earth to end up a deserted wasteland is not on God's agenda. And because he is a God who fulfills his purposes we can trust him that that's not going to happen. So much for the past, so much for the future. What about the present? It's in the present, it's today, it's now that this God of eternity speaks his word into our finite lives. And he issues the call to everybody turn to me and be saved all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. It's an appeal addressed to the whole world. God is not the God of Israel only. He's not one national God alongside all the other national gods, content to live and let live in the pantheon of deities. Nor is he prepared to leave us with a pick-and-mix approach to religion, whereby we build our own God by selecting the best and most desirable elements from all the different religions on offer until we have the God of our choosing. That may not be an idol that you have to load onto a donkey to carry around, but such a God is as much a product of human imagination as any idol fashioned by craftsmen. God's primary problem with idolatry is not that he can't handle the competition. His problem is that when we make a God that suits us, we get the whole thing backwards. We are not at liberty to make gods of our choosing because the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, made us in the first place. So how can we presume to put him on the same level as the gods that we fashion in our minds or in our imaginations? And it's because God is invisible. It's because God is the creator. It's because God is sovereign. It's because God who knows the beginning from the end, that he is uniquely qualified to be our saviour. We all know what it is to have someone bail us out from time to time when we are in trouble or difficulty, someone who is is helpful or, or wiser or stronger than we are. But what about the universal human condition? The human propensity to make a complete and utter mess of things. Our subjection to weakness and frailty and ultimately death. Who is there to rescue us from that? It's the Lord who can rescue us. It's the Lord who can save us to the uttermost. Over and over again Isaiah drives home the same point trying to to get it into people's consciousness and understandings. There is no other God. There is no other creator. There is no other Lord. There is no other king. There is no other saviour. This is the God who called Israel to be his own people. His own treasured possession the people who would look to him and recognize him and honor him and worship him and serve him so that all the other nations would see that there was something different about the Lord and be drawn to his people and say, surely God is with you. There is no other. There is no other God. And here and now in the 21st century in Horsham, that mantle now falls to us. Nobody sees an invisible God. People look at creation and some people wonder how on earth it could come to be. But they may or may not see the evidence of the work of a creator. But it is our task so to commend God to others for there to be something so distinctively different about us as God's people that those who would not otherwise believe in God are led to say, surely God is with you. Why should they say that? Because we are the people who have heeded God's universal invitation to turn to him and be saved. And that impacts on us in terms of our past and our future and our present. Because the invisible God is the source of invisible qualities that change us from the inside out. Things that make our lives worthwhile. Things like forgiveness and hope and love. Things that can't be seen. But when we receive them from the God who gives them to us, the God who saves us, they are things that change us and set us apart. Forgiveness for the past. That's a precious gift. Without it, we end up being locked into our past failures. Forgiveness opens a door for us to change the whole direction of our lives when we have been going the wrong way. Gives us a chance to begin again. God is the God of a fresh start. Accepting God's gift of forgiveness for you means inviting him to to rewrite the rest of the story of your life. To change the plot. To change the direction. And when God does that, he does at the very end give it a happy ending. Because the end of the plot for the life of those who belong to him is eternal life. It is glory. It is making it. It is being united with him for eternity. It is finding the complete fulfilment of all that we are in him. There is a final happy ending for those who invite God to rewrite the story of their lives. And that's where hope comes in. Because God rescues us from despair when we can't see a future ahead of us. When we feel That way we need someone greater than us to rescue us from disaster, whether it's of our own making or of others' making. But the God who created you in the first place wants to make your life count, wants to make your life worthwhile. Futility and despair are not on God's agenda for you. His ultimate purpose is to rescue you from death itself and secure your place alongside Him for eternal life. You matter to God. You matter enough for Him to send His own Son to die on a cross to save you. And the knowledge that you are forgiven, that you are accepted, that you are loved can make a huge difference to who you are, not least because that whole new script for your life isn't based on some positive thinking, but it's based on the reality of what God has done for you in his son, Jesus Christ, and what he will continue to do when you give your life to him. Forgiveness for the past, hope for the future, that God writes a happy ending to the story of our lives when we make him the author of our lives. And in the present, love that other invisible quality that transforms us. The knowledge that that we are loved to the uttermost, forever, despite the people that we are. The knowledge that God's love for us will never turn bad or dry up. He will never betray us. He will never abandon us. He will never let us down. Once you belong to God, you do so for eternity. That is your security. That is your bulwark against fear. But we're not just to rejoice in the knowledge that we are loved. We are to become lovers ourselves. People whose goal it is to put others first. To find fulfilment in service and to demonstrate that my life is not all about me. It's about you. And if we live that way, we will make us different if we live as people of forgiveness and love and hope, those qualities can be the key to other people raising their eyebrows and saying, what is it? God is with you. You belong to the God who saves. There is no other. Maybe you need to accept that. Just turn to him and put your trust in him for the first time tonight. Invite him to come into your life bringing his love for you into your heart. His forgiveness for the past. His hope for the future. If that's the case, with you have a word with me or Jack or with the prayer team or, or just with another Christian who you know and trust? And if you have been saved, if you know that you belong to this God, well, make sure you live out your life in practice. So that the qualities of the invisible God, those qualities of forgiveness and love and hope and everything else, that these things are visible in your life, so that others are drawn to say, surely God is with you. That's our calling and our privilege, to represent the God who saves to a world who doesn't know him. No one has ever seen God. May God so fill us with his spirit that when people encounter us, they catch a glimpse of what he's like and are drawn to him through us. Let's pray. Lord, you know, sometimes we do struggle to see you in our mind's eye. We do struggle to put our faith in you because we're used so much to relying on things that we can see. Yet, Lord, you are the God who is faithful. You are the God who is there. You are the God who created everything else that is so real to us. And you've promised whoever puts their trust in you will never be put to shame. Those who belong to you, you will never let go. So help us to trust you for your love, for your forgiveness, for the hope that is your gift to us. Help us to live lives full of confidence in you. Help us to commend you to others by how we live and the quality of our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.